Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface and Alex Crook and FA Cup winner Scott Minto. Coming up on Talk Sports Preview Podcast for the weekend, Harland health check as Norwegian misses training ahead of Liverpool clash. Roy Hodgson returns to Palace. It's one of no fewer than three relegation six-pointers this weekend. Spurs begin life without Antonio Conte. Oh, there's a big sigh of relief around the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And Fergie and Wenger inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we pick our three to go into it as well. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Hey folks, thanks for uh, choosing the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Let's start with that news. Congratulations to Sir Alex and to Arsene Wenger, the first two managers to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And Crook, because of their entwined history and unrivaled longevity, I think it's fitting, isn't it, that they're inducted together? Not really. <laughs> Why? I, I don't think Fergie and Wenger are comparable. When you look what Fergie did at Manchester United, you look at the number of Premier League titles that he won, you look at the Champions League that he won, Wenger never won any. I think Fergie should be going in on his own and Wenger should follow in the next batch of nominations. But that's not the most ridiculous aspect. The most ridiculous aspect is our friend Scott Minto trying to claim that Pep Guardiola is a better manager than Fergie. Well, first of all, let's, let's let's concentrate on Wenger because Wenger changed the game on diets, drinking, pre-season training, actually gave people the ball. Um, he knocked the game on in terms of speed and tempo, demanded greater pitches. He highly contributed. He, I think Crook's right in a sense that he obviously didn't put as many trinkets on the mantelpiece as Sir Alex did, but he certainly knocked the game on. Um, but I like Crook, would like a little bit of an explanation as to why Scott went on the radio on Thursday night and said that Pep was better than Sir Alex. Because there is, there is a, a, you know, a school of thought that you might, might have gone a little bit too far there. Well, look, first of all, um, it was Wednesday night. Um, second of all... Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, that, that's all right, second then. Of- you said it on Wednesday, that's fine. Just, just on the Wenger one, um, I am actually with you guys here. And, and I think... I think they are comparable, but I think Fergie comes out of it much better because it's almost like a Messi-Ronaldo. You know, one made the other one better. That rivalry made the other one better. So I think they are comparable, but what Sir Alex Ferguson did and what I did say on... And I think there's a lot of respect there as a result of that, Scott. I think, you know, there was a lot of rivalry early on, but now they're sort of very much, they're very close. Yeah, and uh, but it was almost a, a shame that it was almost that Wenger realised that he wasn't going to compete with Fergie, that Fergie suddenly started getting nice, you know. But And, and, and Sir Alex Ferguson basically won that battle and, and fair play to him. What Look, what I did say on Wednesday night was, in terms of the Premier League, no one will ever beat Sir Alex Ferguson what he's done. No one will get will get near him. Pep, uh, you know, and I'll come on to him in just a second. I love him. I think he's done amazing. I think the football he's done, but he won't be in the Premier League as long. Now, I still, whatever I can say about Pep, 
will take on board that someone might say, I still fancy Sir Alex Ferguson to be the number one. And I respect that because the pins are, are subjective. What I say is, very briefly, is that Pep Guardiola, when he took over at Barcelona, people forget that Barcelona hadn't won a trophy for two years. And, you know, Frank Reichardt Barcelona. couldn't do it. doesn't matter. It's not Aberdeen. It doesn't matter. It, it's, it's, it's Frank Reichardt, who was the one two years earlier, had won the Champions League against Arsenal for two years, couldn't get that, those, that group of players to win a trophy. So he did what he did in the way that he did it to get rid of Deco, to get rid of Ronaldinho, and he got rid of Eto within a year, and and to win was it and Zlatan and Omri exactly was it a double treble that he ended up winning in the space of just a, a few years? He, he did. Uh, it is worth pointing out that that there was a big big issue at Barcelona in terms of winning Champions League titles. Yes, they had done it under Cruyff in the uh, in 1992 with the Dream in Team in their history. Yes, they had done it under Roy Rijkaard prior to that but it had been something that had eluded them quite a lot they had uh, it was it was like an obsession for them because you know they'd seen Real Madrid rack up all these trophies and they hadn't done it and obviously then he's changed the game in the, in that he he made them he made them a viable option for Europe every single year he did have Messi in the team though um uh, which i think prompted crook to say and, and and listen after you and i had this conversation about uh, uh, pep and which the Talksport website did put out a quote that said Scott Minto explains why he rates Manchester City's Pep Guardiola over Manchester United's legendary boss Sir Alex Ferguson. After that, Crook then said, rather full of hubris and no little humility, I could have managed any of the teams that Pep has to a title. Yep, stand by that. What I couldn't have done was win a European trophy at Aberdeen or coming at Manchester United when they were at such a low ebb having not won the league in more than 20 I don't years. Think, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you could have done any of those things with all due respect. <laughs> the reason that these people have highly decorated and highly played football managers is because they have the qualifications, experience and now to be able to do it and have shown that and displayed it. You basically once managed a, uh, a five-a-side team which never won well, anything. We, we won a few promotions, actually. You're rewriting history again there, like you did with Steven Gerrard. Can I finish, though, what I was going to say here before, you know, the Alex Crook statement, just he lost any resemblance of a proper argument when he said, I could have done that. I mean, what, do we ask oh, Alex Alex for, do, do we ask Alex for, uh, do we ask Pep Guardiola to now manage Aberdeen? I mean, really? I mean, and when, let's not forget, let's, for the people who know, when you to go back to 2008, when he took over, people were like, he hasn't managed a first team here. You know, it was Barca B. Yeah. Are you sure what he did, the style of football, taking it on two two Champions Leagues? He then took it on to Bayern Munich, where he come off the back of the treble. How do you improve that? Well, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, when he left, Pep, said he has taken us further. And Philip Lahm said, I will not be a manager because I've now seen what Pep Guardiola does. He comes to Manchester City. He takes a year um, of getting used to it. He's won four out of five. And who knows if it's going to be five out of six in terms of the Premier League. I've got nothing but the utmost respect for, for Sir Alex Ferguson. I get it if I cannot change people's minds. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not expecting to. And I admit as well that he still needs to win a couple of extra Champions Leagues. But in terms of the style of football, and what I also put in this text, was he changed the face of English football before he even arrived here. I saw people, teams in League One and League Two, trying to play out from the back, split centre-halves, dropping. They're not good enough. It's football in its purest form. And yet, before it even come to these shores, you're getting not just Premier League, but Championship League One and League Two managers yeah. trying to play the Pep Guardiola way. 
I, I, I agree. But 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 Crook could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he's he's operating on a shoestring at Manchester City as well. It's very difficult given their restrictions in the transfer market to win all those league titles. He he's earned the right, and so Alex Ferguson did just that as well. We will see whether or not Pep can take the necessary steps towards a fifth title in six seasons this season because um, he is part of game day. He's part of the huge match at 12.30. Showdown Saturday starts with the Premier League return, Manchester City against Liverpool. And so it begins. Comes for Saka! Saka puts it in! Arsenal level! And it's that man again! The business end of the season. And we have a magnificent title race on our hands. Haaland helps it on. Bernardo Silva! Wraps it past Nick Pope. To tighten the title tassel once more. Over to you, Arsenal. Arsenal go top of the league again. This is one of the best Arsenal sides I've seen for a very, very long time. The ball's played across to Haaland, and he's sealed it for Manchester City. What a huge goal that is in the title race. Pulls it back for Jorginho. He's right footed straight. He hits the top of the crossbar, hits the defender, and goes in. Major goal for Arsenal. They ain't giving up this title race without a fight. That is 100% sure. We as a club, as a team, we need this type of challenge. A lot of charts still to be written, and we need to go very closely, uh, looking day by day what we do. Nelson brings it down. City start the day eight points behind Arsenal. Uh, they take on their old rivals, Liverpool, who beat them 1-0 earlier in the season thanks to a Mo Salah goal. But the Reds' last 17 trips to the Etihad have yielded just three victories, and their away form is worse than Leicester's and Southampton, Scott. Uh, Erling Haaland missed uh, for international duty. He missed training this week as well. Even without him, should they beat Liverpool this weekend? Well, let's not forget, even without him, they won four titles in five. So, you know, they are used to being able to... Um, did I mention that, by the way, before? Um, no, but they are... They... But Crook could have done that. <laughs> but but look, it would be a blow because he is one of their best players and without doubt their best finisher. I think the question here is what Liverpool side are we going to see? Because we know and we saw even earlier in the season when they weren't playing well, they have this ability to stand up to Manchester City. And if they play how they played in that second half against United, City will be, you know, this is going to be a really, really tough game. If they're anywhere near the inconsistency, then I fancy City to win this. Look, we're post-international break. You can see some surprising results where there's injuries, there's tiredness, there's travelling. Um, but I, I, I still, you've got to fancy City. City at the point now, guys, where, you know, I'm saying it's 50-50 between the two, them and Arsenal but they cannot afford to drop any points here on in. And also they set the tone for the weekend by playing before Arsenal do against Leeds later in the day. We'll get to that in just a second. Kevin De Bruyne loves coming good at this time of the season. Two assists and a goal versus Germany in his first game as the Belgian captain on Tuesday as well. He was terrific against Burnley in the FA Cup match just after Pep had had a little pop at him. I imagine he'll be sending the ball down that left channel for Grealish in behind the right back from the off crook. Absolutely. Um, I fancy Jack Grealish to have quite a profitable afternoon. I wonder, 
whether we'll see Trent Alexander-Arnold or if Jurgen Klopp might be a little bit more defensive and go with James Milner, as he has done previously um, for some of the, the big games they've played this season. That's going to be a, a fascinating tactical decision. Uh, City, one home defeat since Liverpool beat them in the FA Cup last April. You've mentioned Liverpool's poor away form. So I think even without Erling Haaland, uh, I think City should win. I think they'll win with a little bit in hand as well. This fixture usually brings plenty of goals, doesn't it? We had a brilliant game just back after the World Cup, that yeah. League Cup tie that City won 3-2, four goals in the Community Shield, uh, plenty of goals in this fixture last season as well. So uh, I can see a high-scoring affair, but I think City will win and put the pressure on Arsenal. Usually is a high-scoring affair. Eight of the last 10 meetings have featured three or more goals. And Nathan Ake set to be offered a new deal by Manchester City. Two goals for the Netherlands in midweek. Brilliant. Uh, he's been brilliant all season. In fact, maybe arguably up until the return of Ruben Diaz, who I think is their their linchpin at the back, he's been their most important defender this season. And Scott, someone who plays on the left-hand side, you, you could sort of tell us a little bit about his attributes. No, I think he's incredibly versatile. I remember seeing him at Chelsea thinking that he's not quite a Champions League player. Obviously, went off to Bournemouth and he went to City and I'm still thinking he's not quite a City player. But I think this season has almost been his breakthrough season where he's been playing, you know, either as a left centre-half or a left-back. He's the only guy I've seen mark Bukayo Saka out of the game. Um, and I think he's done it twice as well, once in the league, once in in, in the Cup. Yeah, they can't. Um, and, and yeah, he seems to be really believing in himself now, you know, in, in the way that certain players have left Manchester City and, and they've sort of stepped up. He stepped up in that Manchester City shirt and I totally agree with you. I think... You know, Ruben Diaz has been injured a lot of the time, but in, in terms of the, the the length of the season, he's without doubt been City's best defender. Uh, Liverpool rebooted their season with that 7-0 win over Manchester City, uh, Manchester United, sorry. Uh, but uh, follow, Liverpool rebooted their season with that 7-0 win over Manchester United, but then they followed it up with back-to-back defeats, Bournemouth and Real Madrid. We talked about their away from being such a big problem. What can they achieve this season? Because that, away form sort of hampers them so much that getting into the, the top six would be a magnificent achievement. I, I mentioned it earlier, Leicester and Southampton have got more points on the road than Liverpool this season. It, it's actually quite startling and I can't really put my finger on why it's the case, Chris. No, it's an odd one. Um, and I think Jurgen Klopp at times has been baffled by it as well. He was very frustrated speaking to us after that 1-0 defeat at Bournemouth, which, as you say, came so soon after that magnificent performance against United. In terms of their aspirations for the season, I think he's still pushing for the top four. I think they'll miss out on that. And as you've alluded to, they could miss out on the top six altogether because you look at teams like Brighton, whose away form is very good. Um, They look like they're capable of being a lot more consistent than Liverpool. I think Newcastle have found a bit of rhythm now. Tottenham in crisis will give Liverpool hopes. But yeah, I'd be surprised if they did finish in the top four. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't finish in the top six, given that poor runner form away from Anfield. I, I Just with Liverpool, I think it's the it's the mentality and, and physically as well. You know, what we've said, they, they nearly went the quadruple last season and they've kind of almost gone a little bit now mentally and it needs to be a complete reboot. I think at Anfield, the Anfield crowd are able to lift them and they can give that extra 5-10%. I think away from home, they haven't had that. And to do that by themselves, which they have done over recent years, but clearly haven't this season, I think that's been the major reason. Plus, there's been injuries to, to key players as well. Um, yeah. 
I think the key thing is is that they are being rebuilt on the fly and there will be big performances where they'll start posting super results like they did against Manchester United and then they'll go away and lose to Bournemouth because they're not the finished article. They're not consistent enough and they know they can't achieve what it is they want to achieve at the end of this season. So they sort of come off the off the gas a little bit at times as well. Uh, Arsenal can't afford to come off the gas. They're playing Leeds United at three o'clock on Saturday. You would think this is a more straightforward assignment uh, than Manchester City's on paper. They look to maintain their lead when they take on Leeds United, who have got no Verba, no Nonto, no Adams. Sinister and Rodrigo are doubts with injuries picked up during the international break. I'm sure Adrian Durham will be sitting here right now listening to this podcast going, it's that famous Arsenal luck. <laughs> He was also preaching that when we were talking about Bukayo Saka's contract uh, last week, saying how lucky are Arsenal that this boy is so loyal, having come through the academy. Any other player would have left last summer. So, yeah, I think he's certainly continuing <laughs> that narrative. Uh, Leeds did give them a run for their money, didn't they, at Ellen Road? Um, unlucky not to get something from that game. But with those lists of absentees that you've mentioned, it's a big ask, isn't it, to go to the Emirates, where Arsenal have been pretty much imperious this season. The atmosphere will be rocking again. Um, and expect Leeds to pick up anything other than a defeat. Although, of course, Bournemouth went there and came very close uh, to giving Ars- Arsenal a scare. No Saliba. Uh, I think I'm right in saying he's not trained this week, which is a bit of an issue as far as as Arsenal are concerned. But yeah, they'll, they'll have too much for Leeds, I think. Yeah, they handled it without him the, the previous game before the international break, didn't they? Rob Holding stepped in uh, as a result. Scott, uh, Bakayu Saka, Crook mentioned his new deal. I, I understood that this deal was already sorted, actually. I, I heard that it was done during the World Cup or before the World Cup. So it was just about the formalities now yeah. that uh, are going through. It's a £300,000 a week deal. I mean, it's a huge, huge wage for someone uh, of his age, but he has certainly earned um, at least parity with the top earners at the club, hasn't he? Yeah, look, just very briefly on Leeds. I think they've got bigger games coming up with Forest Tuesday and Palace next weekend. So I would... I do feel Harry Grassi will, will think more bigger than that, not want any players who might not be 100% playing in the Arsenal game. But in terms of Bakai Saka, he's 21, he's £300,000 a week. And I, I'm, I'm not for one of those to say, oh, well, he shouldn't be earning it and no footballer should earn it because it's supply and demand. The money is there, so why, why shouldn't a, a top player get it? I just feel, and, and I do... I do agree. I think it might have been Danny Murphy saying, if anyone's going to get it, you almost want to give it to him because you think he's, his head's not going to be turned. But still, mm. that that's just so much money. And again, from his financial or his family point of view, I'd almost want to say, as ridiculous as it sounds, you're only having 100 grand a week and we're putting 200 grand a week away until you finish playing. Because th- there is just a danger that anybody, can, his head could be turned. I know Crookie, could you imagine him with 300 grand a week? What he'd do with that? No, it, it, he wouldn't no. even finish his contract, would he? He wouldn't even finish the week, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> but but look, he barely does. He barely does now. <laughs> well, he turns up late for podcasts every now and again, anyway, doesn't he? Yeah, and he goes out boozing every night, as we found out last night when he was sending us those ridiculous text messages. Every one of us said, "Yeah, he was definitely on the source last night." There's no doubt about it. He won't even deny it. Look, no comment. No comment. I had a few, didn't coming you? from him. Three sheets to the wind, weren't you? It's, it's ever since he became the chef. The the money that comes with being the chef has obviously gone to his head. I was playing so poker. I was playing poker actually on on Thursday night. 
You were playing poker, were you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you, there you well, go. He was showing your hand a bit too much with us <laughs> it's, Sammy, last night, even, it must be said. Even more so why he should never be on a 300 grand a week uh, contract, because he would have lost anything he earned in that, in that week last night. <laughs> yeah, last poker. night, he definitely would have done. And, and yeah, that's one thing you will not see Bakaya Saka doing, I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Look, I'm, I'm pleased for him if that's what he wants, and Arsenal let his contract run out. I'm not 100% comfortable with it, but... It, it is what it is, and he is one of not just Arsenal's best players, but the Premier League best players. I just hope from an England point of view, as well as Arsenal, he just carries on with that same motivation. I will say with conviction, I think he will be fine. He's a very yeah. level-headed gentleman, and he is a very clever boy. I expect him to go on and to have a brilliant career, and good luck to him. Arsenal have uh, only the Premier League to focus on. Manchester City still have three different competitions to fight in. It will have an impact, I think, because... You know, it's very difficult to to keep your energies up in all three competitions with the injuries that have already been sustained by Manchester City. Scott, how difficult is it going to be for, Ma for Manchester City to negotiate all of these huge games that are upcoming, including that two-legged quarterfinal with Bayern Munich? I, I do think it will be very difficult, Sam. And, you know, you asked me, you two put me on the spot and I, I, I genuinely think it's 50-50. And if either of the two teams drop points, I'm then heading towards that. It's the way the season's gone. I look at the fixture remaining and in terms of pure the league, I think City have the slightly easier running. But for, for City to deal with the Champions League and, of course, the FA Cup, and I expect them to get through to the final, that's going to be tough. And that's why... There's a part of me now that's thinking maybe Arsenal, but it, look, how exciting is it? it? It will be difficult. If there's one team that can deal with it, it's City. But I think it'll be difficult even for them. Javi Grazia is um, the Leeds United manager. Did you know he is one of four ex-Watford managers in the bottom nine? It's a good stat. I didn't know that. Who uh, Roy Hodgson, obviously, is, is, is one at Palace. Yeah. Who are the other two? They've had so many Can managers the other two? over the years. You forget who's actually been in charge there, didn't you? I, I was actually surprised it was only four, to be honest. <laughs> Let me get the table up in front of me. So, Roy Hodgson. You've got Javi Grazia. Sean Dyche. Sean oh, Dyche, yeah. So okay. That, and one an more. Shout. Who's the oh, other Brendan. one? Brendan. Brendan, of course. Brendan Rodgers, indeed. He was there for about 25 minutes, uh, as most Watford managers are. Uh, we've talked about the country's top two sides. Let's take a look now at two sides who will have new, albeit familiar faces, in the dugout. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Let's start with Everton against Spurs. It's not till Monday night, but it is an absolutely huge, huge game. Everton at home where they thrive against a Spurs team that have lost four and drawn one of their last five. It's live on TalkSport Monday night. I backed Everton to channel that and record a win um, at Goodison Park on breakfast this morning. And I got a real scoff from Parler and Brazil. But Scott, they've got no manager, no director of football, and there's doubts over their star players' future. It's chaos. It is, Sam, and I heard you say that as well. And 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 do you know what? Without um, not blowing smoke, but you made your point very, very well. And then I thought about it, and I thought to myself, do you know what? If I was a player for Spurs now, I've got nowhere to go here. It's been all about Conte, and now it's got to be about us. And I, the spotlight is going to be on on us, and we have to step it up in this way. We know Everton, if they are going to stay up, it's more their home form, despite them getting a very good point at Stamford Bridge. Um, so I, I get where you're coming from, but I just think Spurs together will somehow get something out of this game. I'm not suggesting they'll win, but I, I can see a very low scoring draw here because I think Spurs, the players, will say we have no excuses anymore. Well, that arguably will be a victory for Everton in a sense anyway, won't mm-hmm. it, getting something off of a game against Tottenham Hotspur. Crook, you labelled... Tottenham a circus on TalkSport during the week and urged Ulian Nagelsmann, who's just uh, been fired from Bayern Munich, to steer clear of the club. I mean, he's not a uh, a shrinking violet. He's he's quite combustible himself and he's got a few opinions and he obviously fancies himself to to be able to turn any club around. He's he's 36 years of age. He's had some, some big jobs already. So, I mean, maybe it might be what they need. He'll save himself for a bigger and better job. I stand by what I said. Tottenham are an absolute mess at the moment. The fact they put out a video of their sporting director preaching unity and almost trying to create a siege mentality 24 hours before he was banned from being their sporting director just sums up the shambles they've got themselves into. I think Daniel Levy is taking the proverbial out of the supporters by the fact he's remaining silent. He should be the one making these addresses and explaining some of the decisions that he's made in recent years. I think it will go one of two ways on Monday. I can see Scott's point of view. Uh, I think there were a lot of players in that dressing room pleased to see the back of Antonio Conte. I think certainly Pierre Hoybier is one of those, the two Argentinian lads as well. Uh, Arnout Dan Juma, who I know was utterly frustrated under Conte at the lack of minutes that he's getting. But equally... Charleston, Kane, Emerson Royale. All of them. Um, Christian pretty Romero much. is thinking about yeah. leaving. So pretty much the squad, yeah. yeah. Pretty much all of them. <laughs> but it's rudderless. And Everton, under any circumstances, is a tough place to go under the floodlights. They're fighting for survival. Sean Dyche will have a game plan to exploit those weaknesses in the Tottenham side. So I've actually predicted an Everton win as well. I'm, I'm, I'm more in the Sam camp than in the Scott camp on this one. Apart from two things here, um, Scott, it's worth pointing out. The cliche that it's tough to go there under the lights, which is, you know, <laughs> was retired in 2010 as, as a phrase that you could possibly use. Ask Arsenal and how they got the on fact there last that season. This, it, what's that got to do with it being under the lights? Everton are still capable. Just because, because Everton the, are still because capable the electricity of turning is on. a performance. 
yeah, yeah, that's that's better than it's under the lights. Um, electricity and, and and the fact that there's extra illumination has nothing to do with with any outcome. Um, also worth pointing out, there are only three ways it could possibly go. <laughs> and Crook has sat on the fence and gone, well, there's two ways it could go. No, well, there's three ways it can, can go. But whatever you do, don't sit on the fence. But do you know what? Both of you are right, but we don't even yet know the system of Spurs, the the, the way they're going to play. Um, we, we know that Stellini played a certain system when he was in temporary charge, but he's kind of in full charge now. So he might turn around and he might have had a meeting with the players and say, look, what do you want to do? Do you want to go 4 2 3 one? Do you want to go 4 3 3? Let's be more, more, a bit more attacking. We, we don't know what this Spurs side now is going to be like. So it's very difficult to predict. That's true. Christian Stellini, there is some suggestion that he gets on very well with the players and it may well be like a relief around the place that there has been uh, a change in the dugout and that might make everybody play with a little bit of freedom. But his 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 record earlier in the season was good to a point in that he beat Manchester City, but he also was in charge when this team were taken out of the FA Cup against Sheffield United and he changed the team or he was part of the decision-making process to change the team and leave Harry Kane out of what was a very important game. Uh, Everton's issue is goals. Dyche very positive yesterday in the press conference, don't know if you heard it, uh, about Ellis Sims, who they seem to clearly now be working and focusing on because they have given up on Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They've sort of realised he isn't going to get back to full fitness. And even if he is, he's not going to be able to do what they want him to do. So they're channeling everything into Ellis Sims. They're working with him, saying things like, a player doesn't just become a good player overnight. He's got a good goal, a goal that we think he can score with his power and pace. He's now learning about his body and using his body, and it's going to be an effective part of his game. So clearly, they are trying their best to eke the best out of him because they know that they need a presence, some presence up front. Yeah, I think there's more out of necessity, isn't it? Uh, as you mentioned, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has yeah, had plenty mostly. of opportunity now to, to get back to fitness. Sadly for him, it hasn't happened. It's a lot of pressure on Sim's shoulders, especially when you consider that they were willing to loan him out in January. Maybe this sums up Everton as a football club. My understanding is they were hawking him around to championship clubs and then they realised that actually they couldn't loan him out because he'd already played for two different teams this season. And of course, the rule is you can't play for three different clubs. So that's quite an amusing story of the, the boardroom chaos at Goodison Park. Not, not, not the only uh, club that tried to do that, though, is it? Because Chelsea were thinking about trying to loan out David Datro Fafana and then realised that he couldn't go anywhere either because he played for Mulder and they bought him off the bench the previous day against Manchester City in the FA Cup. So he couldn't play for anybody else uh, apart from Chelsea or Mulder. So he either had to go back to Mulder and their season wasn't going to start again until March or he had to stay at Chelsea. Crystal Palace against Leicester is live on TalkSport 2 at 3 o'clock on Saturday. It's relegation six-pointer number one. And there are three this weekend. A return for Roy Hodgson to Selhurst Park, uh, looking to try and provide their first win, Scott, of 2023. Can he do it? Can he do it? Yeah, of course he can do it. And I think Patrick Vieira would be, you know, sort of really unhappy that he wasn't given the chance himself to do it because it went through a really tough run of games. And we know that the... The rest of the games here on in uh, of April, they're playing the teams below them. Can it? Yes. We know what we get with Roy. You know, I, I've said before when a team gets uh, Sachs' manager, it's all very well having a process, but make sure you stay in the Premier League. I, I think you know what you get with Roy, don't you? You know, it's going to be, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty dour. We know that Palace struggled to score goals anyway, so that's still going to be a problem, perhaps even more so. 
But if you don't concede, then you don't lose and every point counts in this situation. That's what Roy will be thinking. Statistically, uh, the data suggests that changing a manager at this stage of the season makes absolutely no difference to the outcome of the finishing place of a team. So um, it, it means that historically, with the data that's available, Crystal Palace have acted too late if they were going to replace Patrick Vieira and the outcomes are probably already bank, baked into what, to, to, to what's going to happen. Uh, but Roy Hodgson is doing his best to help Rishi Sunak's plan to raise the age that you receive a state pension. Um, he said uh, in his press conference this week, I've never really felt old enough to retire. If the truth be known, I know what I am. I know what my birth certificate tells me I am. But the way I feel doesn't really tell me that. He still feels young. I like this. I've been asked to do a specific project twice and I've said yes. Maybe another one will come along. I don't have anyone going out actively searching for them. But maybe if it does, I might say yes. Good on him. I mean, he's basically rode back on retirement, isn't he? he? He actually said in his press conference, I never said I retired. You lot said I, I had. And I just thought, well, yeah, well, I suppose I have. I think that's true, to be fair, because I covered his last game at Crystal Palace. And he said to me, um, I'm not ready to retire to the country in my slippers just yet. So, yeah, I don't think he actually did ever label himself retired. If I was a Palace fan... What about at the end of the Watford experience? Well, yeah, I mean, that was that was horrendous. And he did that lap of honour, didn't he? And that would worry me um, if I was a Palace fan. The, the way that it turned sour very quickly at, at Watford, although from what I understand, it was a pretty poisonous dressing room that he walked into. Obviously, this will be a different scenario because most of the players are well known to him. But what we know about Roy Hodgson is that he's a pragmatist. You know, his, his stock is based on being defensively resolute. They've been fairly defensively resolute all season, Crystal Palace, apart yeah. from that game at Arsenal. That's not been the issue. The issue has been creating chances and converting those chances. And I'm not sure that bringing Roy Hodgson in provides a solution to that. So I, I actually think Leicester can win this game. And I said last week, I, I think Palace Crook, could Crook. well go down. Don't worry about creating chances. Do not worry about creating chances because no Premier League team this season has allowed their opponents more big chances than Leicester. They'll create them for them. It's okay. Don't panic. Um, talking of Roy, though, um, he's not going to entertain anyone. His last 16 games in charge of Watford, in fact, his 16 games in charge of Watford, produced two victories, 13 defeats, three draws, and just 11 goals. Anybody want a ticket for this game? <laughs> do, do, do you know what I, I kind of agree with, with Crookie um, and the, the, the way Watford if it if there isn't an instant impact for Palace I worry for them because I, I watched each game and, and each post-match press conference that Roy did I've got the utmost respect for him and, and absolutely age is just the number but it didn't it never once said to me something's going to change here and they almost just went from game to game to game going towards the inevitable. So I worry for Palace and I do think the next two to three games are absolutely crucial for them. And again, in a way that the City versus Liverpool, it might depend on how Liverpool, which Liverpool turn up. I think this one depends on which Leicester turn up because on their day, they're capable of scoring lots of goals. And if Palace aren't, and they just want to try and keep that clean sheet and nick it 1-0, if Leicester get that goal and even a second, then it's game over. Yeah, um, Leicester, we've criticised them for being a bit too overconfident, thinking that they're too good to go down. Brendan Rodgers has said that is not the case. Um, Madison starting for England on 
at the weekend will be a big boost, I think, for him and, and for Leicester. It will help his confidence. Uh, not that he needed much help in, in that department anyway, because he was one of those leading the charge as to uh, their finishing position. Didn't think they're in a relegation battle. But they've got the opportunity here to make a, a splash and put three points on the board. If they were to do that, I think everybody would believe that there's a good chance that they can pull themselves away from relegation danger. There's quite a lot else going on on Saturday. Oh, Forest against Wolves. This is a massive game. Gibbs White coming up against his former club. Got very feisty the last time. Uh, Forest have to get something out of their next three fixtures, don't they, Crook? If they want to stay up, Wolves, Leeds and Villa, the rest of them look pretty daunting. Season-defining period, uh, particularly having lost their last home game. Obviously, their form at the city ground has been their strong point in recent weeks and months. I said a, a while ago, if that deserts them, then they're still banging trouble. Obviously, you've hung your hat on Steve Cooper to stay up, so Scott and I are both desperate now uh, for Forrest to go down for no other reason no, than to no, prove you wrong. No, don't, don't you wrote me in there, Crookie. <laughs> but they've got problems, haven't they? No Chris Wood um, for the foreseeable future. So you wonder who will lead the line. Yeah, how many him. goals did he get before uh, he got Yeah, injured? but he was a focal point, wasn't he? Um, and, you know, Emmanuel Dennis, one of those toxic influences in the dressing room uh, under Hodgson at Watford. I'm not sure he's going to be the answer. Gibbs White is a terrific player and I think he'll want to prove a point because I think he was yeah. booed um, by Wolves fans at Molyneux earlier this season. So he'll be fired up. I love Brennan Johnson. He was. If those two play well, they've got a chance. I can see Wolves grinding out results well, here Johnson and was, Forrest um, in trouble. Yeah, Brennan Johnson was kept back from international duty, wasn't he, because of a, a, an issue. And as a result of that, you, you're hoping, I suppose, if you're Steve Cooper, that the two-week rest has healed those problems. Because I think we all thought that he wasn't going to play their last game against Newcastle, and actually did. Um, so uh, they're obviously managing his fitness, and they need to make sure that he gets through this period. Because this is the key period. These three games may well define whether or not they're a Premier League team going forward or not. Fulham have got Bournemouth. Um, Mitrovic begins his ban. He's apologised. He's accepted a three-match ban. But wasn't he charged by the FA, who deemed that the punishment for a red card was not sufficient enough? Is, is it the end of it, or have we got more to Typical come? FA dragging their heels. Why is it taking so long? If <laughs> The video evidence is there for all to see. Just know. make a decision, for goodness sake. And, and it was, it was yeah, just before the international break as well, wasn't it? So you got an extra week to sort this out. Yeah. Um, six of Bournemouth's remaining matches are against other teams in the relegation fight. But four of those games are away from home. So interesting, interesting. Crook still thinks they've got a chance. Um, uh, Scott and I, because Crook thinks they've got a chance, are desperate for Bournemouth to go down. <laughs> uh, cor- corners, you corners, bad kids. Corners are, don't rope me into that one either. Corners, corners are a big problem uh, for Bournemouth, aren't they? Get, get this right. This is a true stat. I couldn't believe it. Blew my mind. Bournemouth concede a goal every thirteen corners they face. That's outstanding. <laughs> How, it's how? been a problem not only this season, but I think it was a problem last season in the championship um, as well. So, yeah, listen, it's I know a source of frustration for the ball because you can't give away cheap goals like that. So certainly they're going to have to shore it up. I think you're talking about defining periods. This, for me, is the defining game of Bournemouth season. If they lose this with no Mitrovic and no Willian in the Fulham ranks, then I might have to alter my prediction. I think they'll win it, and I think they'll win it without. So you're going to change your mind after one game. Yeah, I think this is it. I th- so you're going to change your name 
after one I, game. I think their season comes down to this. They have to win. You know, okay. You know what? We, right. we, we know that, that Crookie loves his flip-flopping and he's so flaky and they're going from game to game. But we are at that stage actually now. You know, I've already said that at the top. If, if either the two teams drop points, I'm now going for the other one. And, you know, the bell's ringing. You're in the final lap here. And, you know, look at Bournemouth and we covered the Liverpool game, Sam. And, and if they play like that here on in, they will stay up. But the inconsistency, which is why they're down there. Again, Gary O'Neill, a magnificent job. They're still in with a shout. But, you know, since the, I've come out with some stats, since the World Cup, no side has lost more games, won fewer points or scored fewer goals. They've got the worst defence in the Premier League. They can't not concede goals. They'll stop conceding goals. I do think they will go down. because I'm not going to change my mind. But just the fact that Gary's got them this close, I think he's, shows that he's done a fantastic job in what is his first job as a manager. That's incredible. Um, Brighton against Brentford is a shootout for European places. Be fascinating to see how Roberto De Zerbi and Thomas Frank negotiate that one. Chelsea against Villa is a battle for 10th. Um, I mean, I would say let's spend some time talking about that, but, you know, we've got better things to do. Let's turn our attention now to Sunday, starting with the battle between a state-owned club and one desperate to become a state-owned club. Yes, Newcastle against Manchester United. Uh, Takeover latest, Crookie, what have we got? When are we going to see some white smoke here? Still more questions than answers. I think we're still waiting to see how serious the Glazers are about selling. From what I'm told, Joel and Avram still reluctant. I think part of the reason they've entertained this process no. is because they're trying to would have seen raise money to buy out their siblings and therefore keep a majority ownership of the football club. I don't think the bids they've received have matched their valuation or anywhere near it. So I'm not sure this one is progressing quickly. What I can say is that, the, that the Finnish they... guy is, is a joker. So just dismiss that. I know, but it was funny though, wasn't it? It was funny. We all sat here last week. You weren't here, Crook, I don't think, last Thursday, but we were all having a good old laugh about the fact that all of us were going to buy a share in Manchester United and we were going to dictate who Eric Ten Hag was going to pick at the weekend. It just, I mean, that, that, would be good. that would be good for us, wouldn't it? Especially if we were non-Manchester United fans. Well, I'd obviously put myself in charge. And... That fella, Phil Jones, would definitely get a game. <laughs> <sighs> um... No, Casemiro. McTominay was in great form for Scotland, who had a brilliant international break, by the way. Two mm. massive victories. I mean, the, the Cyprus one wasn't uh, unexpected, but the Spain one certainly what was. And he made a, a, a massive uh, impact uh, during that, uh, that, that week. Um, is he the answer alongside uh, Fred in midfield? Are we going to go back to Fred and McTominay, or is Sabitzer going to be the one who gets the nod here? Because midfield's going to be a major, major issue in this game with Bruno Gomares, Joel Linton, Longstaff. They, they, they're playing very well in that area of the field, Newcastle. Before the break, I would have said Sabitzer. Uh, but I wonder if Ten Hag might be shrewd enough to, to channel uh, the adrenaline that will be pumping through McTominay's veins and, and maybe give him a game. I think Christian Eriksen is, is edging closer to a return to fitness. This match will probably come too soon, but that will be a big boost because you've mentioned before, Sam, that Manchester United's form, despite the fact they're picking up wins, maybe has not been as good as it was before the World Cup. And I think that's partly because of Christian Eriksen's absence. I think he's made a massive difference in terms of getting the ball forward, spraying his passes, turning defence into attack. They've missed that in midfield. I think this is a really difficult game for Manchester United. The, the reverse meeting at Old Trafford ended in a, in a stalemate. Nil-nil commentated that game. Newcastle 
possibly could have won it. And I think it'll be a similar story this weekend. I could easily see a draw. And actually, maybe that wouldn't be the worst result in the world for Manchester United to pick up a point at St. James's Park. And Wout Weghorst gets a lot of stick, um, Scott, because he doesn't score too many goals. He had nine shots against Gibraltar in midweek, three big chances missed during that game for the Netherlands. Um, People will ask, how long does he stay in the team? But just explain to those who have an untrained eye what it is he does that allows other members of the team to thrive. Because whereas he may not be the, the headline act in this Manchester United team, he is a vital cog in the wheel, isn't he? Well, he's, he's an important cog right now. And I think everybody knows he's not going to be, if it matches United at all, you know, next season. But what he does do... No, but it's a short-term job that he's doing. Absolutely. It's what Eric Ten Hag felt he needed to do. And it's a big compliment to him that the Ten Hag felt he could do that. Because, you know, it's not really happened to him when he's been playing Premier League. Obviously, you know, just ask Burnley fans. But these type of players that do get a lot of stick. Uh, but he is he does relieve a lot of pressure. If that ball comes up to to, to them in, in a sort of 20, 30-yard pass, you know, he's able to sort of bring it down. He's able to drop in. He can play that number 10 if you want to play Rashford as a number nine. Look, he's not a Manchester United player. He's not. But what he is, he just gives something that Ten Hag feels is the best that he can get at that particular moment. United need a, a step up, massive time. And, and I think I think a draw here is a good result for Manchester United. And you talk about back-to-back victories for Newcastle. You know, they got away with it in that game against Wolves. You know, Pope should have been sent off and a penalty and one nil down, 10 men. Who knows what would have happened there? And then they beat Nottingham Forest with the greatest respect. It was at the city ground. So that is a good win. But I wouldn't say that they are back as it were. I don't think anyone seems to really go for that fourth spot. And while United have kind of just come off it a little bit, I still feel they're good enough to get something out of this game. Look, the atmosphere there is going to be absolutely incredible. It really will be. Um, but I think I, I can see a low score draw here. I really can because Newcastle are still not really scoring goals. Yeah, Newcastle may be getting a little bit of uh, revenge for the Carabao Cup. Might well come into their minds. Um, Anthony Martial nearing a return. Um I mean, he's been nearing a return for about three months. I don't think Eric Ten Hag fancies him at all. Um, if Eric Ten Hag can revive him, like he's revived Jaden Sancho, like he's revived um, uh, Marcus Rashford, if he can complete the, the, the holy trinity and get the best out of Anthony Martial, then be careful of this guy going up a mountain and coming down with a new set of Ten Commandments because that is performing miracles. Um, but Anthony Martial, I don't think, from the tone that I get off Eric Ten Hag, has got a future at Manchester United. I think I think he's he's going to be given the L. He knows he's a waster. Give up. He's had so many chances. He's been there for years. Just just move him on. Couldn't agree more. Um, I think you were covering a Premier League meeting yesterday, which outlined the new rules regarding the ownership structures. Does does this affect the Manchester United takeover in any way, shape, or form? I was sort of looking. They sent it to me last night, and I was looking at the fine print, trying to find out a way where they were trying to outlaw. Um, someone from getting involved in this process and it was very, very wordy and I don't think that eventually happened but I think that was the point of trying to have the meeting initially, wasn't it? Is it let's try and outlaw state ownership and in the end everyone was like, eh, no, no, we're not going to go down that road. I don't think they ever were, to be honest. I remember speaking to an executive at a Premier League club when the white paper was first released by the government and they told me this is not about stopping the Saudi Arabia 
bid for Newcastle. This is not about stopping the Qataris taking over Manchester United. This is basically about stopping rogue owners who don't have the finances to back up their investment. What would be interesting, I think it would have stopped the Glazers buying Manchester United in the way that they did, leveraging debt against the football club. Um, So if they would attempt that now, I think these new regulations would prevent it. But no, there's nothing in the guidelines to stop the Qataris coming in. As long as you've got the money, as long as you haven't got, I think, you know, a criminal conviction, I think you're fine to buy any football club. West Ham against uh, Southampton. Um, Third and final relegation six-pointer of the weekend. Here's why West Ham will stay up, Scott. This is good news for you. Only the Premier League's top seven teams have had more goal attempts this season than West Ham's 342. They'll score enough goals to keep them up. Well, yeah, I suppose that, that if you want to be negative about that, then then they're creating the chances, but they're not actually putting them away, are they? And that's why they are where they are. But I do appreciate you trying to sort of lift me a little bit because it would be an, an, an absolute nightmare to see West Ham go down, but they are in big danger. They are. you know. And I, I was asked by Hugh on Wednesday night, you know, if they lose here, should David Moyes go? And you, you, for me, you answered that question earlier when you said about the, the, the managers coming in. It doesn't make a difference. The problem is, is if the crowd really does turn, if, the, if David Moyes has lost them, that's a difficult place to play. And what you do when you're playing um, in a relegation fight, dog fight, you want to try and create a decent atmosphere, at least so the players go onto the pitch you know, without thinking my first pass and they're going to be on top of me here. Look, they're incredibly powerful, the West Ham fans. I think they'll understand the importance of this game. And you know what? I think this is about the fourth game where David Moyes has to win. Otherwise, he's, he's going to lose his job and he's come through it each time. And I believe he will in this one as well. He'll get a helping hand from Southampton, won't he? Because they've kept fewer clean sheets this season than any other team in the Premier League. Last round of results left both these sides in the drop zone. Um, Crook, rate the job of Ruben Rolnek Sellers for us since he's come in. Um, have they got as good a chance as anyone staying up in this division next year? They've got more of a chance now than if Nathan Jones was still in charge, that's for sure. Um, they are a better team under Ruben Sellers. Um, they have at times tightened up defensively. Um, they kept quite a few clean sheets in his early matches in charge. So there's not least at Chelsea when they were really impressive with that 1-0 victory. They still throw in the odd poor performance. They were poor at Leeds in a game they had to win. They were dismal in the FA Cup against Grimsby. Grimsby. Um, but they showed a lot of character from 3-1 down against Spurs. I sit on air, I was there with Adrian. They've got no chance of getting back into this game. Tottenham helped them with negative changes that Antonio Conte made, but they still had to seize that opportunity. They did that. I don't think they'll stay up. I think they've wasted too many winnable fixtures during that ill-fated Nathan Jones experiment, which still nobody from the football club has really explained to me what on earth they were thinking. But I think he gives them a a puncher's chance. And it wouldn't surprise me if they went to West Ham and picked up a a positive result. In terms of David Moyes, I wrote about this in my notebook for the TalkSport website this week. I think he'll be safe for the rest of the season. I think David Sullivan believes that there's nobody out there who has a better chance of keeping West Ham up. I think he'll probably leave the football club at the end of the season, regardless of if they survive or not. I think I think then West Ham will look around and maybe realise there are better candidates out there long-term. Just on that, Sam, um, it, it, wouldn't it be interesting if they won the Europa Conference League and stayed up? Would he leave then, yeah. 
that would be will it really bow out with the Europa Conference League? You know, two really good, well. First of all, he, he kept them up when they were struggling in a similar position here. Then two really good seasons um, in, in Europe and um, and in the Premier League, and then one bad one. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think the concern would be that they did um, spend money in the summer. Um, they spent money on flair players, probably non. David Moyes type players and he hasn't been able to coach the best out of those expensive investment. My question there would be, um, is he able to, he's very much liking to be a counter-attacking side and he wants counter-attacking players and you're right, Crookie, they've bought players to, to be on the ball. So is he the right person to take yeah, but, them forward? But, but that's, but clearly that's a, that, that again, we'll go back to the previous pod where we were talking about culture and synergy and organization of clubs you have to recruit players for the style that you are going to play if you buy players that aren't going to fit into the system that the manager that you've employed is going to use then you're wasting your time your energy and your money and you're actually hampering the guy who's in the dugout you've got to all have the, the the focus that the plan and be all on the same page otherwise it is going to fall flat on its face it's pretty obvious that that is 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 a, is a basic way of operating i don't i just do not understand why why you you would would do that southampton um half of their remaining 10 matches are against the top seven teams ending the season with a home game against liverpool their fixtures are horrid they've got west ham away manchester city at home crystal palace at home Arsenal away. By the time they play Bournemouth on the twenty seventh of April, they could be almost certain for relegation, couldn't they? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. If you look at the games that Nathan Jones took charge of, they were the winnable fixtures, particularly at home, and he messed them up. They messed it up. That's why they're going down. Yeah, I think they messed it up in the summer. To be honest with you, when they started down this road of a policy of uh, hiring everybody else's cast-off kids and trying to turn them into world beaters, and then looking to make big money out of them, of which, let's be honest, none of them really have played well enough to earn the sort of fees that they thought that they may get out of one or two of them. It has just hasn't worked out for them in that way whatsoever who would have thought it eh? right let's move on to uh the premier league hall of fame big gimmick or should we be champion our ex-stars the premier league hall of fame nominees for 2023 have been announced um firstly scott a concept that's necessary or, or is it just a sort of international audiences that like this sort of gimmick? I actually think I've, I've been lucky enough to be invited to the last couple of inductions of uh, the Hall of Fame, and it's been a fantastic event. And it, we really should have something like this because we are the, uh, the pinnacle of world football in terms of a league. Why shouldn't we have stars on the wall uh, of people that have achieved great things in our, our division? Look, is it necessary? No. Is it a gimmick? Yes. But I, I'm with you. Why not have it? It's, it is the the, the premier uh, league in, in the world. And we've got the best players and we've got the best managers. And why not go a little bit Hollywoody on it? I, I don't see a problem. As I say, it's a gimmick. Yeah. Um. So we'll put uh, three that will go in from the below list. You've each got an opportunity to pick... Um. The three names you think should go in. The names that have been nominated this year, Tony Adams, Sol Campbell, Michael Carrick, Petr Cech, Andy Cole, Ashley Cole, Jermaine Defoe, Les Ferdinand, Rio Ferdinand, Fowler, Gary Neville, Owen, Terry, Yaya Toure and Nemanja 
Vidic. Uh, Crook, I know you're going to say if I suggest for one second that you should put Tony Adams in, I could have captained Arsenal to those titles or something. Um, so, so who are you putting in? Do you know what? It's tough. Um, the standout one for me is is Andy Cole. Um, so definitely him. Yeah. But to pick two others from that list, they've all got their merits, haven't they? Probably Yaya Toure uh, for the impact that he had on African football as well as the Premier League. Sorry? Yeah, I'm going to go Yaya Toure. The Premier League Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm a bit surprised by that because there is quite a few other names in there, the teams of players of teams that have won titles and dragged their teams through other situations that Yaya Toure, I'm surprised mainly because he's an ex-Manchester City player and those words have come out of your mouth. Yeah, but you look at the impact he had on that Man City team when they were trying to make that transition into a a trophy winning machine. I think he was a big part in that. Didn't he score in the FA Cup semi-final, maybe even the final when they won their their first major trophy? This is the Premier League Hall of Fame. It's got nothing to do with the FA Cup. Yeah, but that was the springboard. Um, But yes, he was was a major part of that. That I think actually in the season, if you remember the first season they won the title, he um, he, he he they kept changing the formation halfway through games and putting him almost up front. And he were, he scored this brilliant goal at Newcastle, which dragged them to victory, right. which I think then really set them on the on the road to winning their first title. So yeah, I, I understand his impact, but. I mean, I'm just looking through the other the other members of that that group. I'm, I'm not sure he would be number two pick for me, but go on, yeah. And then for the third one, let's give it to Gary Neville. We like Nev. God, does he support United or what? Okay, Gary. Gary Neville, yeah. Well, I don't know. He, he did just nominate Yaya well, Toure, yeah, so he did but... sort of fox me for a second. Go on, Scott, your three. Look, I, 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 I'm still not sure. I looked at this last night and I had, I had four and I thought, right, I'll tick one off by the time we get on there. Now, now I'm thinking... There's others that I'd sort of put in there. See, I I, I love Andy Carl and I play with him in under-21s, but I actually wouldn't put him in there. Um, not He only scored 34 goals in one season and won five Premier League titles. I know, I know harsh. I mean, I, I don't see how you can't put Ashley Cole in there. I mean, he's arguably England's greatest ever full-back, let alone left-back. Slightly biased. Yeah, two-time Premier League winner with Arsenal, uh, once a Premier League winner with Chelsea. I'm going to throw in Ashley Cole because I think he's a terrific uh, left back and longevity does it uh, for him. I'm going to throw in Andy Cole because he won five Premier League titles. And I think Robbie Fowler, despite not winning a Premier League title, should be in there for his impact on the game for Liverpool, his goal scoring. If you speak to any of the other strikers, so if you speak to Andy, if you speak to to, uh, Alan Shearer, if you speak to any of the big strikers, in and around the Premier League at that time, they will tell you they think he's the most natural finisher. So I think his impact on the on the Premier League was big as well. So I'm going to go Fowler, Cole and Cole. There's Rio and John Terry. I'm trying to split between those two. I think that's very difficult. Um, JT won five Premier League titles with Chelsea, I think. Let me just get that. Um, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, he won five Premier League titles. Rio Ferdinand, obviously formerly of Leeds and West Ham, but won all of his titles at Manchester United. Won a grand total of how many, Crook? I want to say six. Six Premier League titles, correct. That's just nicked it for me. I'll give it to Rio. At a European Cup. Yeah, no, well, we don't talk about that, do we? 
Um, we're just it's just about the Premier League. Um, yeah, and and Terry won a European Cup as well. Yes, he did. To be fair, he did. He also he fell did. over in the game where Rio won his famously. Such <laughs> a bad kid, honestly. And Rio lives only around the corner, so if I see him walking the dogs, then I can say mention I. I did it. So, Ashley Cole. Okay, it's a Premier League Hall of Fame, not Scott's mates list. <laughs> so, Rio, Ashley Cole. Uh, do, do you know what? Do you know what? Uh, it, it, uh, go on, Crookie. You've done me this time. I don't normally let you persuade me. But Andy Cole, you know, what he did and when actually all the goals he scored for Newcastle, and yet people said he's only a goal scorer, as if that was a bad thing. But he moulded himself to become an incredibly important player at Manchester United. And I still remember that goal against Spurs last game of the season where they were 1-0 down. Um, Scored his first touch. Yeah. Um, Go on, let's give it to him. I think he deserves it with the amount of Premier League titles he's won. Yeah, I I do hope that Andy gets in, to be honest with you, because I think he's uh, often forgotten because he's not as visible as as some of the others. Mm. You know, Michael scored a lot of goals, brilliant player, obviously brilliant for England, that impact that he made in the 1998 World Cup. But in the Premier League, impact on, I'm not sure he made a massive impact in the yeah. actual Premier League. Um, but let's see what Manchester City do when they get back to Premier League action this Saturday, 12.30. It's live on TalkSport. Game Day Live is hosted by Adrian Durham from Arsenal Leeds. Trevor Sinclair will be at Nottingham Forest versus Wolves and Ray Houghton will be at Brighton Brentford on TalkSport 2. At the same time, Crystal Palace against Leicester. Monday night, I'll be at Everton versus Tottenham in the Premier League. Looking forward to that. That's a TalkSport exclusive. Join us for that. We'll be back on Tuesday morning next week because the Everton-Tottenham game is so big, we thought we'd better move the podcast from Monday to Tuesday to reflect on that. So join us then and we'll look back on all the weekend's action. But more importantly, we'll actually be looking forward to what's happening in midweek. It's a huge midweek as well. Do you know in April, we've got over 50 live games on TalkSport. We're the only place you need to be. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.